Good morning. I always have like that five second hesitation right before I speak into the microphone because I'm thinking, did I turn it on? Is it going to work? We have such an amazing team and I'm so thankful for these guys. How's everybody doing today? I did not know that it was going to rain this morning. I also didn't know that I was going to tear this apart right now either, trying to make it a little taller. Look at that. Okay. Well, that's going to be more helpful. So I have been um, off and on, and this is a perfect day to explain this, um, participating in a workout group around the city of Nashville called F3. And um, I have, for about two years now, I've gone very, very sporadically. I consider myself a fair weather F3 workout person because if it is too hot, too cold, or too rainy, I am not going to show up outdoors at 5.30 in the morning and allow someone to hurt me because that's not how I'm feeling on a regular basis. But these F3 workouts happen all over, really all over the country. You can find an F3 workout really anywhere. It's all free. Um, It's just men getting together in parking lots and in trails and in I don't really know, outdoor areas all over the country, literally 5.30 every single day of the week, you can find an F3 workout um, and hurting themselves. And it's really tough. But there's a disclaimer at the beginning of every single workout. And I'll read it to you. It's basically, it says F3, the, the person that's the cue for the day, the person that's in charge of the workout, he always gets in the center of the circle and says, F3 is a no cost volunteer peer led workout. You go at your own pace. And then he says this, I am not a professional. I have no knowledge of any injury or fitness considerations. It is each person's responsibility to be safe, modify exercises as necessary, which I do on almost every single exercise. I pick a modification that makes it easier on me because otherwise I wouldn't be able to continue. Basically, they're saying we're going to work out together. Don't get hurt. And I, I started thinking about that this week because there's a difference between getting hurt and hurting, right? There's a difference between getting hurt and hurting. Because at the end of the F3 workout, if you do it right, you will not get hurt, but you will hurt. Like later that day and definitely the next morning, if you do it right, you won't get hurt, but you will hurt. Doing it right in life, in so many things, does not mean that it's easy. In fact, I would venture to say, and maybe you would agree with me this morning, I would venture to say that not only doing it right does not make it easy, if things are too easy, you're probably not doing them right. So we land on the Apostle Paul because we've been tracking through the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. You can turn in. Verses are going to be on the screen. We're going to dive in. After we take this one little tiny verse look in Luke, you don't have to go there. We're going to end up in Acts chapter 14. So you're going to want to be there today. Paul is on what we call his first big missionary journey. It's like a tour of the area. Think of a concert. There's probably a t-shirt where like all the names of the cities that he went are on the back of it listed. And you're thinking, oh, I saw Paul in six cities this year. Well, it's one of those situations where he's going place to place to place to place with his group of friends and believers, Barnabas, who we've been talking about through this whole series, and they're sharing the gospel. I want you to take note of what I just said, sharing the gospel with all of the people that they meet. And this is why, 
Because believers in Jesus, like we know at this point that Paul is, because we've already seen the dramatic conversion that he had when Saul was breathing murderous threats in the life of the church, and he encountered the Lord Jesus on a road to Damascus. His life was completely turned upside down, a whole 180-degree shift, and he began to proclaim the name of Jesus. We've seen this. Well, believers in Jesus, like Paul, like me, like you, believers in Jesus are called to live life like Jesus on an evangelistic rescue mission. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, it's recorded for us, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He doesn't get more descriptive than that. He came on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. And I love making a note there that in that verse, Son of Man, that is Jesus's most often used title for himself. More than anything else, over 78 times, he, he referenced himself as the Son of Man. And, and we get confused by that sometimes because we want to draw such a clear line between the divinity of Jesus and the fact that he was fully God and the humanity of Jesus and the fact that he was fully man. And we think that, okay, Son of God is the designation when we're talking about about your divinity and son of man. Well, that just makes sense that it's the designation that we're talking about your humanity, but ultimately it's a reference back to Daniel chapter seven, where son of man was a reference to the Messiah. So all those people are like, well, Jesus never really claimed to be the Messiah. He called himself son of man over 78 times more than any other title used in scripture. He claimed it with every breath, telling us who he is. And ultimately he said that his whole reference point and frame of mind is that he was the Messiah, the son of God. In an F3 workout, everybody has a nickname. It's so weird. Um, uh, so if you come on the first day, you've not been given a nickname before, they basically call you FNG, friendly new guy. The whole workout, FNG, good work, FNG, good work, FNG, friendly new guy. And then at the end of the workout, when you're circled up, you have to literally sit there and go around the circle, Nick Allen, 41, FNG, friendly new guy. And then they ask you about yourself. You're on the spot. You're saying all these different descriptions, experiences, vocation, family, like injuries. Maybe you can't breathe because you've already completed the workout that day. And basically, they just determine what your nickname is. Last week, the guy that led the queue on Tuesday that I went to was called Olin Mills. I can only suspect that he's a photographer. So me, I get the nickname Stranger. I'm thinking, I don't really know how to approach that. Like, I just didn't give them enough information. They think I'm just this new guy. And then I'm looking back in another verse in the book of Luke, and I'm like, stranger on the road to Emmaus, people that encountered Jesus. And ultimately, that's what we're supposed to do. So ultimately, he's the son of man, but we're supposed to be those people that reference the son of man, the Messiah, the living, breathing God with everything that we do. Believers in Jesus Christ are called to be like Jesus Christ and to live our our lives on an evangelistic rescue mission. That son of man designation was also a reference point to the fact that his ultimate call was to suffer and to live a life of service. If we're doing it right, we will suffer in a life of service. Believers in Jesus Christ are called to live like Jesus Christ on an evangelistic rescue mission, but we don't. We can, we can just raise our hands. We don't have to raise our hands. We just kind of assume that about ourselves. We know that we, know that we don't. We know that we don't, don't often live our lives like that, and that's, that's a problem. And one part of our problem is this, is that we don't have a pattern and we're out of practice. 
You take the idea of muscle memory into consideration. Like once your muscle learns to do an exercise, apparently as long as it has some sort of consistency in life, it will not forget how to do that exercise properly. Well, the problem with muscle memory is that it fades over time and has to be retrained and retaught. And one part of our problem of why we don't live our lives on an evangelistic rescue mission is that we are out of practice. We don't have a pattern. You look at Acts chapter 14 and you don't get past the first verse when you realize exactly what it is. Referenced in the life of Paul, it says this. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, it's my NIV translation of the Bible, as usual into the Jewish synagogue. They had a pattern. Every single city that they arrived in, they went straight to the synagogue. And they were not out of practice because every single city that they went to, they went straight into the Jewish synagogue for the express purpose of speaking about Jesus. One part of our problem is that we don't have a pattern that we're out of practice. We don't have a pattern for how we share the gospel. We don't have a pattern for how we communicate about Jesus. We're out of practice when it comes to striking up conversations about Jesus. And our list is long the reasons why we don't speak up and speak out about Jesus, but because we feel ill-equipped or because we feel ill-prepared or because we feel like it will damage the relationship that we're working so hard to build and to maintain. The list goes on and on and on and on. But ultimately what it means is we're out of practice. We don't have this same pattern of as usual. My father-in-law orders the same thing at every restaurant that he goes to. Not that he orders the same thing at every restaurant that he goes to, but every restaurant that he goes to, he has the one thing that he orders. And we vacation with them at the end of the summer, typically, um, in the beach, this small little town off the coast of North Carolina, a little tiny island, one, one way bridge, one way on and off when I was growing up as a kid. And now it's two bridges on and off because, you know, you have to make room for evacuation. Well, we go to this tiny little breakfast restaurant called Russell's, and when they see him coming, they already know what his order is because he has a usual. We need to have a usual when it comes to Jesus. We need to have a muscle memory response when it comes to problems. We need to have ready answers when it comes to questions about our faith. We need it as usual. One part of our problem is that we're out of practice. We don't have a pattern. We don't, we don't have a usual when it comes to talking about Jesus. The other part of the problem is that the center of God's will being in the center of it, it is always met with resistance. Listen to what happened. They went into the Jewish synagogue, and we continue with verse 1. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. When you're in the center of God's will, it won't often, it'll always be met with some kind of opposition. Truly following Christ will undoubtedly mean that you look so different from the world around it that the enemy does not like that and he takes notice. Truly following Jesus will automatically put you in his crosshairs. Truly living your life like that on an evangelistic rescue mission will not go unnoticed by our enemy and he will find some way, whether it's through his attacks or the stirring up of other people who don't agree to find a way to give you some opposition. So how do we respond to those challenges? How do we respond to opposition? How do we respond to difficulty? Scripture tells us. So those Jews who refused to believe, they stirred up the other Gentiles. In verse 3, it says this, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there 
speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. It says the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was a, a, a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where what? They continued to preach the gospel. So in this type of persecution, this type of difficulty, this type of opposition, here's what we learn immediately is that persecution made Paul persevere. Persecution made Paul persevere. He didn't give up. He continued teaching in that place. He stayed with those believers and continued to invest in them. And when difficulty got to be a little bit too big, yes, he left, but what did he continue doing? He continued teaching even the other people that he encountered about the gospel. If we have a lack of perseverance in life, and Paul ultimately wrote about that. In Romans chapter five, he says this, not only so, he's talking about difficulty. He's talking about issues that they face. He's talking about persecutions and hardships. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Anything that we, we glory in that, we boast in that because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. If we have a lack of perseverance in our life, maybe because we haven't suffered enough in our life. I read an article not too long ago about how playgrounds are too safe. Have you heard that concept? It's that we've now somehow in 2020, it was several years ago, probably in 2015, playgrounds are too safe, right? Playgrounds are too safe now, so safe that kids can't get hurt, so safe that kids will literally just jump off the top of it with no fear or threat of falling. They don't understand how to keep a safe distance from the edge because we've removed all of the edges in their life. Like it's not a bad thing for a kid to fall and skin their knee well, we're going to make the floor really soft and we're going to come up with 12 inches of padding so that a child never has to skin their knee. Well, this says that perseverance develops character and character hope. And where do we get that perseverance in the beginning? Suffering. Maybe we need a little difficulty in life. Maybe the reason why some of us have grown ups don't have um, the kind of perseverance that we need and ultimately the kind of character and the kind of hope that we need is because we have not suffered enough because we've protected ourselves too much, because we put a bubble around our children, we put a bubble around ourselves, we put a bubble around our lives to protect ourselves at all costs from any measure of suffering whatsoever. And then at the first sign of opposition in our life, we're ready to throw in the towel and retreat altogether. And you want to know why? We have no perseverance. Why don't we have any perseverance? Because we have not suffered enough. I think we think, (laughs) I think we think, I think we think that there's only two responses to opposition in life. I think that we think that there are only two choices that we can actively make when it comes to persecution or difficulty or hardships of any kind. I think we think there's only two responses at our fingertips. We only have two choices when something in life gets really, really difficult. We can retaliate or we can retreat. We think we only have two responses. I'm going to retaliate and I'm going to retreat. And you only have to go to Facebook to find out that we are convinced that those are our only two options. Y'all, I can see it coming a mile away. And that's not the prophet in me. That's just the human in me. I can see it coming a mile away. A friend of mine will post something on Facebook and I will look at it and I'll be like, three, two, one. I can bet money. I can name the names of the people that are going to fight, retaliate, call them out, and even call them names on Facebook because of what they shared. Those are the people that think their only option in life is to retaliate. 
The other group of people, they think that their only option in life is to completely retreat. And what we learn from Paul, what we should learn from Scripture, is that there is a third option, and it is the better option not to retaliate and not to retreat, but to relate and to have a relationship. Relationship takes more time, and it takes more effort, but it ultimately costs much less and yields way more because retaliating and retreating are always going to cost you everything. But diving in, making the investment, and building the relationship is always going to yield so much more. So he stayed in those communities. He dug into those communities. He shared and discipled people in those communities. And when the threats against his life got to be too much, it wasn't a retreat. It's just a redirect. I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to develop another kind of relationship and I'm going to continue sharing the gospel. Perseverance was born in in Paul's life because of the suffering that he faced. Some of the hardships, some of the difficulty, some of the opposition that we shield ourselves from, if we allowed ourselves to experience it, we would develop perseverance along the way. Persecution could develop that for us. We shouldn't be surprised. This is in your notes if you're following up. We, we shouldn't be surprised or stayed, like, like held back or, 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 or put in a, a, a place of bondage or, or tight. Like we shouldn't be surprised and we also shouldn't be stayed whenever we face difficulty for Jesus because he warned us. He, he told us this was going to happen. If Christ's most often used nickname for himself was a reference to the fact that he was going to suffer, why should we be so shocked when he called us to be like him and to do the same during a conversation that was all about how the temple was going to be destroyed, which was just the worst thing imaginable for any of his audience of the day. The fact that he was looking and says, oh yeah, you see that beautiful temple with all of its gemstones upon gemstones and bricks upon bricks? Oh yeah, it's all going to be destroyed. Oh <gasps> Like, worst news these people could have ever heard during a conversation about how the temple was going to be destroyed, Jesus said to them, it's in Luke chapter 21, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Do we see that today? Yes, we do. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. We see that today? (laughs) If anybody shook their head, no, you need to turn on the news. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. In verse 12, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. And Jesus gives them instructions, settle it therefore not in your minds to meditate beforehand how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Some of us are just so distraught that Christians are hated in the world, and we just cannot believe that God would allow his people to be hated this way. He warned us about this over 2,000 years ago, that the name of Christ followers throughout this world was not going to be great, that the reputation of Christ followers throughout this world was not going to be awesome. 
We continue over and over and over again to reference and to cling to and to hold on to the hope that we are living in a Christian nation. It's false hope. We don't need the nation to be Christian. We need the believers in it to follow Christ. We don't need our government to support and to endorse and to legislate our morality and our values and our beliefs. It doesn't matter that at one point in our nation's history, the Ten Commandments were plastered on courthouse walls. The problem is that they've never been so clearly fixed in our hearts. We don't need it painted on a mural. We don't need it hanging in our White House. We don't need it proclaimed by the politicians. We need it lovingly pursued and followed by believers in Jesus Christ like you and like me. We don't need to be surprised. We don't need to be stayed by the fact that there is persecution and that believers in Jesus Christ will be hated. Why? For his name's sake. Some of us are so, we're far more concerned with standing up for our rights and protecting our rights and our bubbles that we've forgotten how to pursue what's right in Jesus. And let me go tell you, when you pursue what's right in Jesus, it's not going to get you more rights. When we do it the right way, it's, it's going to hurt. When we do it the right way, it's going to get harder. Paul learned that sometimes difficulty comes in the form of persecution. Oh yeah, we're going to stone you and kick you out of the city. And other times it comes in the form of pressure. You and I face both. He, he moved out of that city and he went on to Lystra. And there was this guy who was, I'll just summarize, there was a guy who was born lame from birth. And the idea of being born with a problem from birth was a big deal to the Jews. There was a guy that was born lame from birth. And so ultimately what happened is Paul healed him. And then all the people in the city who worshiped all kinds of gods like Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite and all those other Greek gods, they saw that and this is what they believed. They believed that because Paul was able to heal the guy that was born lame from birth, then he himself must be a god. They literally thought Zeus has come down in human form. Hermes, the messenger of the gods, has come down in human form. And so these guys, all the people in the city, started to want to worship Paul and Barnabas and their entourage. Like they wanted to worship these guys. And they were bringing out like bulls and they're going to start sacrificing animals and saying, hey, Zeus is here. Hermes is here. And Paul and Barnabas were like, oh, absolutely not. It might have taken me a second to be like, absolutely not. Guys, you don't have to. It wasn't that big a deal. I mean, it's okay. I just, I just healed somebody. Like, it would have been hard, right? Yeah, sometimes our, our problems and our, our issues and our difficulty comes in the form of persecution. I'm going to kill you. And, and sometimes our opposition and our difficulty comes in the form of pressure. Peer pressure. To join in. To, to think that certain things are okay, to, to sacrifice your values for just a second, be like, okay, that's a fine. I mean, if you guys want to worship me, that's okay. I'm still going to tell you about Jesus. No, it's not okay. Paul ultimately said, hey, we're just people like you. 
We're just people like you, and we came to bring good news. And I love that the NIV says good news. Some of the other Bible translations that you read are just going to spell it out, gospel, and that's because good news is gospel. It's the, the Greek word euangelizo, euangelizo here. And basically, it doesn't just mean the noun good news. It means the act of bringing good news. And so he skipped down to 18, and he said, hey, guys, by the way, we're not we're not here for you to worship us. We're just humans like you. All we came to do is to tell you about Jesus. Verse 18 says, even with these words, like even when he's explaining, no, 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 I'm not a God, don't worship me. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. And then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they came and won the crowd over. Then they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking that he was dead. Sometimes it comes in the form of persecution. Sometimes it comes in the form of pressure. Verse 20 says, but after the disciples had gathered around him, thought he was dead, gathered around him, he got up and he, he went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. And what did it say? They didn't retaliate. They didn't retreat. They just continued developing relationships so they could communicate the good news. It says they preached the gospel in that city and they won a large number of disciples. The thing that we have to do in the face of persecution, in the face of opposition, in the face of difficulty, in the face of any kind of challenge that we face in life when we're doing it the right way is to keep moving on our mission. Keep moving on mission. The point is always Jesus, no matter what we face. Then it says they returned to Lystra. That's the place where the people worshiped us. They returned to Iconium. That's the place where they put together a plot to kill us. These are places where attempts had already been made on our lives. Talk about perseverance. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And he says this, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And that is not, you don't have to go through a hardship in order to be worthy of the kingdom of God. It means that if you're heading towards the kingdom of God, you will face hardships along the way. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. No matter what happened, no matter where they went, no matter what they endured, they continued to preach the gospel. This week, preparing, I read an old article from Christianity Today. The title caught my eye. You've heard me say multiple times this morning, you should have been keeping little tally marks of how many times I said the phrase, share the gospel, share the good news. The headline on this article read, the apostles never shared the gospel and neither should we. So of course I had to read it. I even had to type in my little password so that I could read the whole article and not just the little tiny version that they give you up top. Like I wanted to see this whole, what in the world were they gonna say to me? They said the apostles never shared the gospel and neither should we. You wanna know why they didn't share it? Because instead they boldly proclaimed it. And I'm like, well, that's just a nuance. That's just a little bit of the word, but listen to what the article says. It says, what if a baseball coach instructed his pitchers to simply toss the ball? Not to throw strikes, not to work the corners, not to change their speeds, not to pound it inside, but just to toss the ball. Would those pitchers have an accurate understanding of what their responsibility was? Our concept of evangelism is similarly lacking in precision and nuance. When simply sharing the gospel becomes our default instruction, we fail to convey the attitude, the approach, the authority, and the necessity for the act itself. 
What begins as a subtle change in terminology results in a massive shift in our whole ethos of evangelism. That's because sharing, this is this, that's because sharing typically involves giving something to someone who desires it. Children share or don't share, because I know it happens at my house. They share or don't share their Legos with another kid who wants it. Friends share a really great chocolate chip cookie recipe with another friend who asks for it. In each case, we share with others because they are asking for what we possess. But the reality is, this is where it comes home. The reality is, few people are ever begging for us to share the gospel good news with them. I say share the gospel because it's ingrained in me. I've heard it my whole life. But but I do believe in a careful reading of what we've experienced today. Paul never went to any of these cities. Lystra, Derby, Iconium, Antioch never went to any of these cities at anyone's invitation to come and share with them the gospel good news that he found. He went on a mission to boldly proclaim it to people who needed it even though they didn't know it. So we sit back and we, we take a life inventory What is your biggest challenge? Who is your biggest adversary? What is your greatest opposition? In what avenues are you facing persecution? I know we spend a lot of time praying that God would remove those things from it. But maybe we should ask God to equip us for it. Because if we're doing it right, it is going to hurt a little. So how are you responding to that challenge? How are you dealing with the difficulty? Are you retaliating against it? Because how dare something like that in life come against you, a Christ follower? How dare somebody disagree with me? I'm going to tell them what I know. You're retaliating against all that opposition? that might get you hurt. Are you just retreating from it and running from it and just in utter shock that it came in the first place? Or are you persevering through it and using it as an opportunity to develop a relationship with others who ultimately you have a chance to proclaim the good news and win over to Jesus? Burpees that you do, (laughs) doing it right today may make it easier in the future. I I think that's the goal of some of the workout routines that we do. Like, if I do it right now, it's going to be easier in the future. This is where the illustration breaks down. Because doing it right by Jesus now doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to get easier in the future. This Christ following thing may even get tougher. But like the burpees, it will make us better. And it'll be worth it. Following Jesus is hard because it's supposed to be. And because he told us it would be. And because if we're going to grow and be more like him, we need it to be. Persecution is not a bad thing if it develops perseverance. 
And we can glory in that because perseverance develops character and character develops hope. And it gives us the kind of strength and stamina to press on and to go back again and again and again in order to win people for Jesus. And that's what we want. That's what our mission is. That's what our purpose is. And if we do it right, it will hurt, (laughs) but it'll be worth it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the incredible opportunity to to be in this place and to worship together and to sing songs about your goodness and to, in, in a safe place where people agree with us and where people like us and where people affirm us. They, they, they resonate the same songs with us and we shout out together in unison, God, that you are good, you're a way maker, you're a miracle worker, you're a light in the darkness, you're all these good things and we are so grateful for that. But forgive us, God, for thinking that how easy it is to proclaim your name in here should reflect how easy it is to proclaim your name out there. God, we want to be ready for the challenge. And so would you help us? In a moment of taking inventory in our own life, would you help us spot the opportunities that we have? Spot the opportunities that we have to proclaim your goodness and to proclaim your name and to proclaim your gospel so that people around us will come to know Jesus. We're okay, God, if it hurts. In fact, we will glory in that and celebrate that because if it's hard, we know that we're doing it right. And we we want to do it right, God, because we want to do it like Jesus. So would you go before us and would you work through us Would you help us to take risks and to do it boldly, not recklessly, but boldly, so that we can see people come to experience the joy and the hope of knowing that you love us and knowing that you gave your life for us. So Father, we we celebrate the fact that it will hurt along the way because we know we need it to. And ultimately, we want it to, because Christ will be proclaimed. It's in his holy, perfect name that we pray. Amen.